pastoring the Cookville Free Will Baptist Church. Uh, it's hard to believe to me that it's been seven years. In my own mind, it seems more like about two years uh, that I have been here, but seven years of pastoring, and God has been good. And I want you to know that I'm just as thankful today uh, as I was when I first came, uh, in some ways more thankful uh, than I was when I first came for the opportunity to pastor this church. Appreciate the way that you love me and love my wife, and I am especially appreciative of the way that you love my children and the things that are going on in our children ministry, because as a father, uh, as pastor, I shepherd this whole congregation. As a father, I have my own family that I love and care about, and uh, nothing means more to me than that my children learn to love Jesus, and He has given a church to help them love the Lord. If you love Jesus today, say amen. amen. Saying, I'd rather have Jesus. Rather have Jesus. They say, when you go to pastor a church, most people that have studied it say that it takes a year to two years uh, to really begin to understand what's been going on in a church and to start getting an idea of where a church needs to head. It takes at least a couple of years to just get the lay of the land to figure out the personalities and the people and to uh, understand the community and what's going on in the community that you've been called to be a pastor in. After a couple of years of getting to know the people and then getting to know you, it takes a couple more years for a pastor to go through some things for the congregation to learn, can I trust this pastor? Uh, when hard times hit, is he going to run and go somewhere else or is he going to stay? When there is difficulty, is he going to stand and preach the Word of God or is he going to mope and quit and uh, go hide somewhere else? And so it takes a couple of years to get the lay of the land. And then it takes some years for a pastor to go through some things for a congregation to realize, is this person in this for the long haul or they come just for a moment to move on uh, to greener pastures? I believe today that God has done some great things in the last seven years, but just as confident as I am that God has done some great things, I believe that this church has in no way reached the potential of what God once and in no way have we maximized all the talent and abilities that we have in our congregation. If you want to see God do a great work in this generation, say amen. It's been a good seven years. But in other ways, we have a long ways to go to maximizing the talents and abilities that God has allowed to be in our church. Jesus said in Matthew 28, don't turn there, just look. We'll turn to the main text in a moment, but Jesus said in Matthew 28, to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. As He was ascending back to the Father, He left the foundation for what His followers, His disciples, His people were to do. And it has not changed. If you believe the Word of God is still as true today as it was when Jesus said it, say Amen. He said, go and make disciples of the nations. Uh, you're not to stay huddled in the holy huddle. You're not just to get together and pat one another on the back and say, man, aren't we faithful to the Lord? Don't we love Jesus? Aren't we being true? He said, go. Go out and meet others and encounter others. And as you're going in your life and encountering other people, go to all of them, all the nations, and baptize them in the name of the Father 
and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Boy, if this has been good uh, to see Bryson and see Jamie be baptized uh, in this last month, if that's been wonderful, say amen. He says, go, make disciples, teach them, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all things that I have commanded. So this is the foundation for what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is that you go and you tell others, and you baptize them, they've been evangelized, some will reject, some will accept, and those who accept you baptize them as a sign that they're dead to sin, and they're unified to Jesus. You go, and you tell, and you baptize, and you teach, and you keep the process going. It's not just the 11, 12 disciples and the Apostle Paul that were to go and tell and to baptize and to reach others. That was true for them. But when you read the Apostle Paul, especially when he gets later in the later letters, Apostle Paul knows my ministry is going to reach an end. And so he's investing in Timothy and others. So Paul is obeying the commands. And as Paul's life is going through a trajectory, he knows I can't wait to the end to empower others to go. Paul is empowering others while he's doing his ministry. He's empowering others to start their ministry who then start others to start their ministry. This process of going and teaching and reaching is a never-ending thing for the church until the king comes back and the king tells us that you are done. So until Jesus returns, Jesus calls forth his church. This is the foundation, going and teaching and reaching others and preparing another generation behind us to get engaged in the work. Now, how is the church in America doing? How is the church doing? There are a number of studies you can look at. Most of them conclude this. Listen to this. In America, they say 80% of local churches have either plateaued or are in decline. 80% of churches have either plateaued or are declining. Now, that includes some churches that I wouldn't consider evangelical, Bible-believing churches. It's a little bit better for conservative, Bible-believing churches. They do a little bit better, but not much. It's basically true for conservative churches that claim they believe the Word of God and claim they're committed to that mission of going and teaching and discipling. It's about the same for them. 80% plateaued or declining, only 20% growing. You know what gets even scarier? Is in the 20% that are still reaching new people and empowering the next generation to go and share the Word of God of the 20% that are actually doing what Jesus said the foundation of the church was to be, His disciples were to be. Of that 20%, 5% of them only baptize five people a year. This is the foundational thing that Jesus said to go and do, to teach them, reach them, and baptize them and empower the next generation to do it, to reach your generation in your day and age of the 20% that aren't plateauing, 5% are barely hanging on. They're going the right way, but they're just barely inching. That means in our land, only 15% of the churches are faithfully, faithfully thriving and growing in what the Lord Jesus, your King, said to go and do. Only 15% are thriving and growing 
in what Jesus said was to be the main thing right before he left to go back to the Father. You know what that means? That means I pastor in a landscape where most churches overwhelmingly are more committed, more interested, more efficient, much better at maintaining traditions of men that were erected on the foundation than they are in empowering a new generation to go out and do what Jesus said. Because there are churches all over the land that are full of people who are carrying on the traditions and the practices that another group of people said, this is what we need to do, and they laid it down, and there are lots of churches where there's still somebody there carrying on those traditions that the men erected, but they are ignoring or failing to do what Jesus said was to be the main foundation. Now, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want God, Jesus, I'm delivering this, but Jesus once said that. If you believe in your heart of hearts, then it is much more important to do what Jesus said than just continue to hold up what somebody else did in a previous generation, say amen. 80% are doing real good, real good, at holding on to what they had. But actually, they're not doing real good because they're not reaching and they're not going and they're not empowering. They're actually not doing good. We're now reaching a crisis moment where 80% of churches, and you can read some different figures, but it's a ton, are in decline. And that means they've gotten real good at doing everything but what Jesus said you were to go and do. So I have to ask myself at seven years, at seven years I have to ask myself a question. How are we doing? And if God says, Pastor Charles, you're called to shepherd this flock. And you get a couple of years to know the lay of the land and then a couple of years for people to trust you and for them to see, all right, what kind of pastor do we have? What kind of under-shepherd, under-Jesus do we have? How is our church doing? And I've got good news and I've got bad news. i got good news and i got bad news. The good news is I have a little black book that I keep in my office of everyone that has been saved and baptized in this church. And I have a little book that shows every new person that stayed for at least three months. And some of them continue on and some of them fade away. But I have a little book. And after seven years, we've seen saved and baptized 42 people. 42 people. That means we're not in the 80% that's declining, but that means we're in the 5% that is really just barely doing what Jesus said to do. So good news, we're not in the decline but the bad news is that Jesus says, lukewarmness, I will spew out of my mouth. And I would say if you're in the 5% that you better not look at Jesus and you better not pat yourself on the back and you better not say what a great job we're doing because, yeah, you're not in the decline. But that means we're seeing about six people on average saved and baptized a year. That means good, we're not in the decline. But I'm afraid some of us would pat ourselves on the back and say what a great job. And I think Jesus would look at us and he would say, you're content with that? If you want to get to the 15% that thrives, not just survives, say amen. How are we doing? Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, we're not in the 80%. But God didn't call us to be in the 5% that just creeps along and says to themselves, hey, we're doing all right. 
No, no, no. Jesus said, I want you, this is what you are to do. This is more important than anything else. You are to go and to reach them, to baptize them, and to teach them. And it is an ongoing process. Every pastor, every Christian, every church has a calling to reach and minister to the present generation. To show the love of Jesus to the present generation. Every pastor, every Christian, every church has a calling to passionately demonstrate to others this is what it means to boldly and unashamedly and with passion worship the Lord Jesus Christ who has redeemed us from sin. If you're glad that He redeemed you, say amen. He redeemed you and He saved you. And you have a calling in your generation to show others what it means to worship Him and to reach Him and to proclaim the name of Jesus. Now, it's been seven years. Seven years. And honestly, and I don't want to get into all this this morning, but really the Lord has confirmed in my own heart and through a set of circumstances in the last, in the last several months that Brother Charles, seven years. If you pastor for a long, long time in one church, you're probably about one-fifth of the way done with your ministry. If you stay for 20 years, which is pretty good, and I hope to stay here forever, but if you don't, if you stay for 20 years, in three more years, you'll be halfway done with your ministry at that church. And I know this with all my heart, that the two years of getting the lay of the land has come and gone. And the five years of people in this congregation deciding, is this a, a man of God that I believe is connected to the Word of God? In five years more of seeing, as my children are now being raised, seeing how does he raise his children. Five years, seven years of knowing Sister Laura and knowing is this a pastor's wife that causes problems? Do we have issues with her? Or is she somebody that just shows up and worships the Lord and helps others and doesn't cause issues? Seven years is long enough to decide. Because I want to tell you, the next seven years can't be seven years of being okay with patting ourselves on the back, saying, all right, we're not in that 80%. The next seven years have to be years where we thrive and we enter the 15% that are sold out to what Jesus said to do. We have to be. So this morning, I'm going to do something for the next five weeks I've never done. I'm going to launch into a vision series. A series of after seven years of pastoring, where are we at? And where do we need to head? And where do we need to go? This five-part series is simply titled, That's My Church. Because I want you at the end of it to know emphatically, over these next seven years, when people say, why do you attend Cookville Free Will? Why should I go to Cookville Free Will? By the way, I don't care if you came from a Free Will Baptist background or not. I don't care if you came from a Baptist background or not. I love some of the Methodists that we've picked up. I love some of the Wesleyans that we've picked up. I love some of the Southern Baptists we've picked up. I don't care what your past is. I want you to know that we're ready for you to jump on board and do what Jesus said to do. Amen? Now, I'm not ashamed of who we are. In fact, I do a lot of stuff with our movement. And I'm excited to be a part of it. And it's given me a lot of opportunity. So I'm excited about that. But my first and primary identity is not with Free Will Baptist. My first and primary identity is with Jesus. First and foremost. Five ways say that's my church over the next five weeks. I'm going to give biblical basis 
But then I'm going to do something I don't do as much in my preaching, but now is the time to do it. We're going to get really practical in some ways of what does this look like for us to apply it in our church to see over the next seven years that we definitely don't enter the 80% and that we thrive in what Jesus has commanded us to do. So this morning, we're going to look at two texts, all right? Two texts. First one is in Acts chapter 13. So go to Acts chapter 13, and we're going to read verses 36 through 38. Acts chapter 13, all right? This is a sermon, a teaching that the Apostle Paul was giving. He's doing what Jesus said to do. He's going out and telling others. And he's sharing with others the good news of Jesus, and he's baptizing those who will listen. And Paul is investing in new people that have accepted the gospel to empower them to go and do what Jesus said to do. And Paul makes this really interesting comment, and there are other places you could look, but this interesting comment that he makes in the middle of this declaration of who Jesus is. And listen to what, listen to what the Apostle Paul says, Acts chapter 13, verse 36. Paul says, for David. You know about David? You know about King David? He was a shepherd boy that loved the Lord. He was a shepherd boy that when others were afraid of Goliath, he went out when the king would not do what the king was supposed to do. King David went out and slew and took Goliath down. King David played the harp, and he played it unto the Lord, and he wrote many of the psalms, many of the psalms that we sing, which are prayers put to music. He wrote them and praised the Lord. David, David who defeated the Philistines. David who uh, danced when he brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. David who set a monarchy in existence that they said that Jesus himself would come through his seed. David did a lot of awesome things. Paul says, for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on asleep. David did what he could do in his generation, and then he died. And he was laid unto his fathers, and he saw corruption. He died. He was under the, the sin. The sin curse affected him. He had trusted God, but he was bound to death like we are because of the curse of sin within the human race. And so he laid with his fathers, and he saw corruption. But Paul says, but he, Jesus, whom God raised, saw no corruption. Oh, Jesus died on a cross, and he was laid in a tomb, but there was no sin on Jesus. And so the corrupting power of sin could not affect him in death. So Paul says, verse 38, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, this man Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. If it's always about Jesus, say amen. Verse 36, it says, For David, after he had served his own generation, after he served his own generation, that's what I want. I want to be able to say that Cookville Free Will, that's my church, because this is a church that is primarily concerned with serving God in our generation. We're not, first, we're not first about serving the generation. We're first about serving God in our generation. If God has to be first, say amen. amen. God has to be first. But it does say that David served God in his generation. You know why 80% of the church is declining? There are a multitude of factors. But a lot of them are declining because a generation came along that did the work 
And then they decided, all right, we're just going to keep it like this. And don't you do anything to reach the new generation that doesn't look like what we did to reach our generation. And those churches are getting their wish and they are dying every single day. Every day. Because we reached them in ours. Don't, don't mess anything up. It says David went to be with the Lord after he served his own generation. Those whom God raises up in each generation, listen, primarily serve God in that generation. The vast majority of Christians that have done what Jesus said to do, you don't know their name, you don't know their story, you don't know their ups and downs, you don't know what they did or didn't do, you don't know their highs and their lows, you don't know that. But what you do know is because they did their work in their generation, what you do know is their Jesus who they passed along to you. vast majority of Christians, you don't know anything about them. Now think about David and all he did. The reason you know the Psalms, the reason you know the name David, primarily is because he did what he was called to do in his generation. David could not do what Moses was called to do. And what David did looks different than Moses. David could not do what Joshua was called to do. That's not what was going on in his generation. He had a ministry in his generation that David had to do. David uh, could not do the things that, that Samson was called to do, and, and in many cases didn't do very well, but he couldn't do that. David was not called to be a Ruth. And his story looks different than Ruth's. Why? Because David stepped up. He stepped up when it was his generation and he faced head on what God wanted in that generation done. Now, we know his Psalms. We know his seed that the Lord Jesus came through. We know his monarchy. But we know these things only because he was faithful in his generation. When people ask me, it happened yesterday. Praise the Lord. This, I mean, this is an exciting time in my life because honestly, the, do the doors have been opening the last few months. I've been able to share with more people about the Lord Jesus and invite them to our church in the last few months than I've ever done before. And yesterday, my wife and I, my wife and I went after the soccer game and we went to this little restaurant right down the road. And there was a waitress there and she, she told us she was from Memphis. And I said, my sister used to live in Memphis, and we started a discussion. She's here at Tennessee Tech, and she's a freshman. Uh, long story short, by the end of the time we'd spent there at the meal together, she had written down what time our college group meets on Wednesday night. And she said, I went my whole freshman year here at Tech, and I haven't really been found a church and been faithful to church. And she said, i got to work this Wednesday. But she wrote, she wrote it down. She said, I'll, I'll try to be there next week. Wednesday. If it's about reaching this generation, say amen. God is opening doors to do that. And I want to tell you something. People say, why are you pouring the prime of your life into Cookville Free Will? I mean, when she found out I was a pastor, I had on my YMCA soccer jersey. I just got done coaching. And, when, and she was kind of shocked when she said, what do you do? And Laura and I were like, well, I said, I'm a pastor. She kind of gave me that look people give you. When people say, why... Are you spending the prime of your life pastoring the Cookville Free Will Baptist Church? There's only one answer that's really the right answer. And it must be, I'm pouring my life into that church because God has called me through that local congregation to reach this generation. Must be. When churches no longer strive to seek and to minister in their generation, 
But instead, they try to hold on to past traditions of men and women. Instead of giving God bold praise in their generation, in their day, and they instead just try to rehearse over and over again some past glory that God gave, what that church has done is they have replaced the power of the Holy Ghost and they have replaced the power of the mission of God that He gave. They have replaced it with the past. And God did not call us, He calls us to remember the past, but He did not call us to worship the past. He called us to worship Jesus. Our church was founded in a time of massive revival in this country. When I went to Duke, that's primarily what I studied was revivals in America. After World War II, there was a revival that happened in America. In the 40s and 50s, which some of you came out of, a, a whole slew of churches were founded. All over this country, churches were founded. Men came back from the war that had seen the horrors of that war and they either turned to alcohol and lost it all or they turned to Jesus. And it is unreal the ministries that were started by men that fought in World War II and came back and had seen hell. They had looked it in the eyes and they came back and they gave their life to Jesus. We had, we, we had a number of men like that in my church, in this church as a boy. There were a number of them. One of them, and I can name a number of them, but you know, Fred Haney gave this, his life to this church. And he's one of those that came back and he had seen it. And he gave the rest of his life to doing what God wanted because he had seen just how bad this world can be without the Lord. After World War II, a huge revival occurred. There's no question Billy Graham's rise to prominence in the culture. He was riding a wave, a wave of people that were looking to God. 1945, this church was officially organized. 1971, this church boldly moved to this property on this main road. In the 70s throughout the 80s, an anomaly occurred within our church. It had both positives and negatives. I can say that having been here for seven years, there's no doubt in my mind. There were positives about this anomaly, but there are also negatives. The positives were this. Most churches do not experience what our church experienced in the 70s and 80s. In the 70s and 80s, many, many people, wonderful people like Albert and Fannie Mae and a whole host of others who'd gone north for jobs in the 70s and 80s begin to return to Cookville. And this church got what most churches don't get. They got a whole new slew of people that were retirees from good jobs who were willing to work for the Lord and ready to pour into a local church and to do what needed to be done and they had retired and had good benefits and were willing to tithe. And this church got a whole group of people that most churches don't ever get because we happen to be in an area where a whole bunch of folks moved back to of a certain age. But can I tell you today, in the seven years I've been here, not one retiree now, there's some that were already in Cookville that are now worshiping with us. My neighbors are, and I love them. Bob and Jean are great. But there's not been one retiree that has moved back from Michigan who had a great paying job that has moved back ready to pour into this church. They were maybe already here, but listen, folks, it ain't the 70s and 80s no more. There are no retirees that are going to roll in here to pour their life into this church. So if this church does not reach the next generation, you know what's going to happen to this church? We will die. We will die. There will be 
No Cookville Free Will Baptist Church. Now, if you are glad for what God did in the past and you want to see it continue in the future, say amen. amen. You better reach your generation. Because a pastor, if I walk in here thinking that what happened in the 70s and 80s is going to occur today, then I'm an idiot. Because you don't need a PhD and you don't need to go to Duke to look around and say, wow, that's amazing. A whole group of people moved back, ready to invest and ready to work. Guess what? That's not our generation. But I'm not afraid. Some people are afraid. You say, Pastor, why are you not afraid? Because in the midst of decline in this country when it comes to God, there are 15% of churches that are thriving and growing and are reaching their generation. There is no reason that this church should not be one as well. Amen? No reason. I want to show you something. I told you it's a totally different message. But this has to repair us for the next seven years. This is a message where we face our past, we face our present, and we trust the Lord with our future. Sometimes you've got to know the past. And you've got to face it. And sometimes, and listen, it takes a while before I have the right to preach this sermon. That's why it's been seven years, because it takes a while before you can really say some things that have to be said. Let me show you something. Brother Rick, show them this next slide. I just did this so you could see it. In 2010, 70 years ago, I did something else. I've got the paperwork in my office. I've showed this to some of our, our, our deacons two years ago. I wrote down the age of everybody in the church. Seven years ago, 60% of our church was over the age of 60. 60% of our church was over the age of 60 six years ago. But in Cookville, only 20% of the population, that's the little orange one, only 20% of the population was over 60. You know what that means? That means seven years ago, if you walked into this church, it didn't look anything like the generation that God had called us to reach. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Again, you don't have to go to Duke to figure this out. The truth of the matter is, some of us that have been here for the last seven years, when we look at that and realize that 60% of the congregation was like this, and it looked nothing like our actual population, we really ought to come every Sunday ready to praise the Lord and to fall on our knees and say, Lord, thank you for giving us a second chance, and we are sold out to you. Seven years later, how have we done? How are we doing? I mean, the Bible says you need, to, you need to check. You need to personally check and see, how am I doing in my walk? And churches have to do it. Well, now that's gotten down. This was two years ago, so it's actually even a little better, but it's 40% of our church is now over 60 and so we're looking a little more like our community. We're looking a little more like the generation that God called us to reach. Now, if you're older, don't get scared. Don't get scared because if you're doing what you're supposed to do, which is reach the next generation, there will always be older people in your church. But if you do not reach the next generation, one day not only will they not be there, but the older people will not be there either. Let me say that again. If you don't reach the next generation, one day, not only will there not be young people, there won't be anybody. And when I sit down and I reflect on that, and I think about how out of whack things got, and that God has given us a second chance, a second chance, I'll tell you something, it, it makes me a little fearful for myself that the church I grew up in got in that shape. Honestly, that makes me a little fearful. 
but it also lets me say, God, thank you for second chances. If you're glad to give second chances, say amen. Listen now, if you don't face the past, you can't know the, you can't know the present. And you can't move into the future. Let me show you another one. Brother Rick, show them this. Seven years ago, 60% of our congregation over 60, 40% was 0 to 59. Seven years later, that's, that's, we flipped that. So I say praise the Lord for that. We're actually doing what we should be doing. We're reaching a generation and we have flipped that. By the way, we've added new old people as we've done that. So again, if you're older, don't get scared. We've added some wonderful older people. I mean, I mean Sister Barbara, where'd she go? Where's Barbara? She already... There she is! Look right back there. There's Sister Barbara right there. Who's a blessing? Bob and Jean. What a blessing. I could keep going. There are older people. We, I mean, we've got you guys back. And Carol and Fowler are back. And they can't be here, but they're a part of us. And we've got Brother Gary. Listen, we're still about reaching older people. But we have to wake up and say, look, do we look like our community or not? And are we sold out to reaching this generation? Or are we sold out to living off the fumes of the past? I'm sold out to this generation. Because that's what God calls us to do. Now you say, well, Pastor, I don't know about this. I don't know about this. I, 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 don't know, I, don't, I don't know that I like this, Pastor. Okay, don't listen to me. Listen to Jesus. Go to Matthew chapter 25. You listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25. We often quote the end of this, but most of the time people do not put the end of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25 in its context. Listen to what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Listen to Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Jesus said, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country. Man getting ready to go on a trip. He's getting ready to make a journey like some of you. Getting ready to go into a far country. And he called his own servants... And He delivered unto them His good. So there's a man who's got things. And he's ready to give it to somebody else. And so he calls them together and says, I'm going to entrust this to you. Wow. Jesus leaves to go to be with the Father. And He says, the mission's yours. The mission belongs to you. I'm giving it to you. I've gone and I've proclaimed the kingdom. And I've given it. But now I'm giving it to you. And you're going to go. And you're going to baptize. And you're going to teach. Wow. Jesus had said while He was alive... There was a man that was going to a far country. Boy, Jesus has gone to that greatest country. He's gone to heaven. If you can't wait to see heaven, say amen. He says here, there was another guy. Boy, it sounds a lot like Jesus here. Traveling to a far country. And he called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And he gave unto one five talents. That's the type of money. He gave one five. He gave another two. And he gave another one. And to every man according to his several ability. And then he went straightway and he took his journey. He that had received the five talents went and traded. He did some trading. That's the Charles Bryant of this story. He was a trader. But Charles Bryant used to do some trading. He went and did some trading. He took his five talents and he did some trading. Likewise, he that had received two, he also gained another two. But he that had received one... went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. The Lord gave him something. And he said, I'm going to 
I'm going to keep it. I'm going to hold on to it. Thank the Lord I got it. Oh, thank the Lord I got it. Thank the Lord that He did something in my life one time. Thank the Lord that back in the 40s and 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, thank the Lord He did something and I got it. Now I'm going to hold on to it. And I'm going to make sure nobody messes with it. And I'm going to make sure nobody does nothing else with it. I'm just going to hold on to it because the Lord gave it to me. And so He buried it. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came. The Lord of the servants came. He came back. Sounds like somebody else. You believe Jesus is coming back. Say amen. I wonder, could Jesus be talking about us and Him? He says the Lord's going to come back. And so when He came back, He went to those servants, verse 20, and He said to the one that received five talents, He said, come. And that one brought five more that he'd earned from the trade, and he had ten to give him. And the Lord said, and he said, Lord, Lord, you delivered unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside these five talents more. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, you good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter you into the joy of the Lord. Let me tell you, Augusta Walker, who died the other week, she did a lot of inviting to people this church. Her and her husband used to go and bring people. They used to tell people about Jesus. And she used to tell them, come and hear what the Lord has done. Based on her testimony, and the Lord is the eternal judge, but based on her testimony, her life, and what she did when she stood before the Lord. Now listen, it's because of the grace of the Lord she saved, so don't misunderstand me. But when Augusta died, she could also stand before the Lord and say, Lord, in my generation, I did what I could do to reach them. And I believe with everything in me, the Lord said, well done. Well, if you want Jesus to say, well done to you, say amen. amen. All right, so what happens? The Lord said, well done, verse 21, you good and faithful servant, you have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter you into the joy of the Lord. He also that received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two talents beside them. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of your Lord. And then he which received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you. And I knew you are a hard Man, you read the New Testament. Let's not kid each other. The Lord, He's a gracious man. But He's also a man that expects us to live like Christians. He's also a man that expects churches to preach and teach true Christian doctrine. Oh, we can disagree on some things. We can debate some things, but my friends, there are some things that are foundational that are so clear in the Bible that if you don't believe them, you are in big, big trouble. We've got a Lord that expects that. Lord, I, I know you, you, you expect to live right. And Lord, you expect to preach the right doctrine. And Lord, I knew that. Lord, I knew that. And Lord, I didn't want to mess anything up. Lord, I'm getting ahead of myself. Look what he says. He says, Lord, I knew. Verse 24, I knew that you were a hard man. And you reap where you have not sown, and you gather where you have not strawed. And so I was afraid. That's the difference between this one and the other two. I was afraid. 
And I went and hid your talent in the earth. And lo, there thou hast what is yours. He said, Lord, I buried it. And Lord, you can have it. I, I kept it real safe for you because I know you're a hard man. So I kept that church real safe for you. I kept it real secure for you. Lord, I made sure we didn't do anything at all that anybody could say, well, I don't know if you should try that to reach other people. I don't know if preachers should do that. I don't know if you should look like that. I don't know if you should sing that. Well, that's not the way they did it in the 40s and 50s. That's not how we operated in the 70s and 80s. But Lord, don't worry. Don't worry. The church died, but while I was pastor, I made sure I kept it real safe for you. What does Jesus say to that? Verse 26, His Lord answered and said unto him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I sowed not, and that I gather where I have not strawed. Thou ought therefore to have at least put my money to the exchangers, that then at my own coming I should have received my own with usury or at interest. I should have at least made interest. Now listen to what Jesus says to the one who kept it nice and safe and secure, but did not actually step out and do anything. Look at what Jesus says. Verse 29. Verse 28. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which has ten talents. For unto every one that has shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But for him that has not shall be taken away even that which he has. And here's, listen to this. And cast you the unprofitable servant unto outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We rightfully say that in hell there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. But that right there is connected to a servant of the Lord who'd actually received something, who went and did nothing with it other than to say, I will keep this nice and safe and secure and I'll just do what we've always done and we'll keep it right there. And the Lord comes back, I'll be able to look at the Lord and say, Lord, I know that we didn't reach people. I know we didn't baptize people. I know that we didn't empower the next generation to serve you. But guess what, Lord? Lord, I kept it all safe for you. And what does Jesus say? You kept it safe for me? For me? You didn't even do the most basic command I gave you, which was to go out and reach your generation with the Gospel. Young people, I want you to listen to me. There are a number of reasons our church got in the shape that it was in. Some of them leadership problems. That's, that's some of it, no doubt about it. And that's why as a pastor, I take very serious what God is called to do because I know I will be responsible for that. And that is why over the last seven years, I've tried to move really slow and be really careful and really sure that people know I love you and I love this church. I'm not here to blow this church up. I'm not here because, listen, there is a responsibility. No doubt leadership crises cause some issues. But... There's some other things caused some issues. Young people, I want you to listen. And older people, I want you to listen next. When I was a boy, some of these problems started in our church that led to when I came back seven years ago, us looking nothing like our generation. And there were a lot of people that I sat with on pews like you 
And some of them were ready to do great things for God. And they were ready to do some awesome things. And they were ready to try some big things. And it made some other people nervous. And the way they responded to the nervousness of an older generation was basically, I'm going to use a strong word, but this is the right word. There were some people my age that looked at an older generation and they said, screw you. Forget you. We're going to do it our way. And I don't care what it does. I don't care who it upsets. I don't care how it affects people. I'm going to do it my way. I want to tell you something. The reason that I've gone slow for seven years is because I've seen what happens when a younger generation does not respect people who have actually poured in and done work. You need to be freed up to do what God's called in your generation, but never forget there are people in this room who made great sacrifices for God in their generation. If you will promise me that you will respect what another generation has done, will you all say amen? That's half the story. There's another side of the story. And I could name some names because I was here. I remember when some people my age started trying to do some new things. I remember it well. Things like put some words on a screen to sing a song. You do know there's a time before the printing press where they didn't have hymn books. Everybody know that? That's the vast majority of the church. I remember when some words went on a screen. I remember when some people said, hey man, I can show you all the verses of Scripture that go with these songs. These are good, godly songs, but I, rem- I-, I know some people. With my own, er- own ears, I heard say, this is my church. It is not my church, and it is not your church. It is Jesus' church. And I, I know some folks I said last week about my first couple of months here, a woman that called me over to her house. That's why I've waited seven years to preach this, because you have to earn the right to say this. But at some point, the shepherd of this church, listen to me. I know the woman that called me over to her house after I'd first been here and said, they don't like your preaching, they don't like your illustrations, they don't like your humor. Let me tell you something. I know a number of other people that when I was a boy and on up through, she went to them and she told them, you won't do this in our church. That's not how we do it. It wasn't her church, and it's not my church. It is Jesus' church. It's His. And so the next seven years, if we try something or do something, it's okay to say we've never done that before. But that has to be followed up with, we've never done that before, but is it faithful to Scripture, and will it help us reach our generation? That's what we have to say. Because it's not okay when the Lord Jesus comes back for us to be sitting in a holy huddle together saying, Lord, we're not reaching our generation, but don't worry, we're keeping it safe for you. That's not what that parable just taught. Seniors, listen to me. Listen to me. They can kill this church real quick over the next seven years as they move into leadership by having a lack of respect for you, you can kill it. But you can kill it just as fast and probably faster because you've already been through some things. You can kill it just as fast, just as faster, faster by saying, this is my church and we didn't do it that way back then. And so we're not going to do it that way now 
and you will be like 80% of the churches in this country. And by the way, it's not just this country. Go to the Free Will Baptist churches all around us, and most of them are declining and dying. You know why? Because Jesus said you are to go, and then you're to empower the next generation, and then you're to go and empower the next. And somewhere along the way, these Free Will Baptist churches around here have decided, "Uh uh-uh, no way. This is the way we did it. That's the way it's going to be. We're going to keep it safe for Jesus. And they've kept it safe, and they've not done what Jesus said to do. I beg of you. I beg of you. You're already seeing it. It's already occurring. As another generation is now being empowered to do what God has called them to do, I beg you as the pastor, help them do what God said to do. Don't stop and stand in the way of what Jesus commanded us to do, please. If you say, I will commit to the best of my ability to empower the next generation, say amen. Doesn't mean you have to like everything. I haven't liked everything over the last seven years. But I've done what God has said to do. The best of my ability. Jesus says, if you don't do it, I will take your talent away. Here's the thing. Because of some of the changes, we, I believe this with everything in me. And it's been really encouraging the last few months. Because a number of people have said, we're poised. We are poised to break out of that little 5%. We are poised to burst out. To burst out and to reach God. It was okay two years ago when people would say to me, we're sitting on a hidden gem here at Cookville Free Will. That was okay two years ago. It was even okay three years ago, four years ago. It was okay when people said, you're you're sitting on a hidden gem. We are not to be a hidden gem anymore. We're to be a light to this community. And you guys, you're only going to get one chance to be young. You're only going to get one chance to do what the Augusta Walkers and others did to say, in this generation, I will go out and do whatever I can to reach people with Jesus. You're only going to get one opportunity to do that. And people in their 30s and 40s and 50s, you're only going to get a while to be right there to continue to pour in and then to help the next generation. And those that are in the late 60s, 70s, 80s, at the end of your run, you only get one chance to use what time you've got left to encourage the next generation and say, go for it. And let me tell you what happened in my day, not to hinder you or hold you back, or to claim this is mine, let me tell you what happened in my day so you can know that God can do it in your way as well. One chance. I believe this with everything in me, God gave us another chance. He gave us another chance. But now is the time that if we don't go to work and we don't get busy, and and, and listen, y'all already know me for seven years, it's not like I'm going to come in here and just change everything overnight. That's not how I operate. But there's already a new generation of people that are singing. There's already a group of men. I don't know that this has ever occurred in our church. Did you know right now there's a group of young men that meet on every, every Thursday night? They all come to Sunday school. So they've not abandoned Sunday school. These men, every one of them comes to Sunday school. They also meet on Thursday night. How many guys are in that group? Five or six. Every Thursday night, they meet together. And they read other, script, uh, other, other books about the Bible and things. And they're reading Together, five or six young men. I can tell you when I was a boy, there was no five or six young men in their 20s that were meeting every Thursday night to do that. I say that to say, if you don't have eyes to see that God is doing something here, you better open them up real quick. Real quick. Why Why have some good things happened? I'm going to tell you, it's because there is a next generation that is actually using their talents. Will you be faithful or not? We'll see. See, I can count on Brother Rick. I can count on Brother Rick every Sunday to know that Brother Rick will be here, 
to turn things on, to have things ready. I never have to do that. I know every Mother's Day and Father's Day, I learned I don't have to call Sister Frances. I don't call her anymore. I did the first couple of times. Sent her a text, said, hey, Sister Frances, we're going to have our gifts. I don't have to do that. I know she'll let me know on Thursday or Friday. I've got it. Church, this is the only shot we've got. This is it. If you are sold out for this generation, say amen. I want us to do something. Over the next four weeks, we're going to look at some specific ways. And I'm going to lay some specific ways out. I'm going to show the biblical basis and lay out, this is what we must do as a church so the Lord Jesus doesn't come back and doesn't say, hey, you just wasted what I gave you. And we're going to go through this together and we're going to look at God's Word together. And we're going to trust God to do what only He can do. But I want to ask you today, sometimes it's important for a church to pray together. And I know we've been here a while. This is an important message, an important thing. Listen, if you're older and you want to see God do again what He did before, if you're over the age of 40 and you want to see Him do it again, say amen. You know one thing you can do if you're 60, 70, 80 years old? You can get on your knees and you can pray and you can beg God for your pastor and for a new generation. There's nothing stopping you from doing that. Nothing. Older folks, we need you to pray for us. We need you to say, go on, run. 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 A man I love very dearly. He's a good, close friend of mine. No longer with us. Whether he had to move or whether he died, doesn't matter. I'll never forget the first Sunday here, the ladies asked if we could have a special speaker, and she did a great job. Oh, she was awesome. We brought her in for Sunday school. We had people that had never been to Sunday school before. Some of you remember this. This was early on, the ladies' group. I can't remember that. Tammy, what was that lady's name? Do you remember that? Forgot her name? Had this lady we invited. We had more people for that than we ever had for Sunday school. We canceled Sunday school. Had more people in that than we ever had for Sunday school. Had people in the church that never come to Sunday school who came, and we had visitors. And a man who I love very, 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 very much who was in his 80s. I'll never forget this. Probably been to Sunday school. I calculated this because I know when he started church. Probably been in Sunday school 3,000 to 4,000 times in his life. That's a lot. And I'll never forget after this great event, he came to me and he, was, he wasn't mad about it. I mean, well, maybe he was mad, but he didn't treat me mad. But he came to me and he said, I don't know about this canceling Sunday school. I like my Sunday school class. Well, bless the Lord, I like your Sunday school class too, but you've been in it 3,000 to 4,000 times in your life. And we just had people that don't come to Sunday school that showed up for this. Now, I love the man who said that. I mean this. I love him. To this day, I love him. But can I beg you, if you're in your 60s and 70s and 80s, please don't ever come and say, well, I don't really want to do that because that's not what we normally do. And if you're in your 20s and 30s and if you're new to our church, don't ever disrespect people who have poured their life into the work of God. And if we do that together, our best years are to come. Our best years. But see, so would you come and would you sing, I've decided to follow Jesus? I want us to sing, I've decided to follow Jesus. And I hope there's some younger people and I hope there's some older people who would say, forget lunch, forget lunch. Forget lunch. 
I hope there's some younger people, some old people, not because I'm asking, but because this is the Word of God. I hope there's some younger and older people that will get around an altar and that will in one spirit, in one way together, pray and say, Lord, help us to use our talent for this generation. Dear Lord, I ask that You would use this message. And Lord, I ask that You would empower us and move us. And Lord, I pray that we would not be concerned with playing it safe. Faithful, yes. Safe, no. Lord, would we be not concerned with safe, but we concerned with faithful. And Lord, we reach this generation. Lord, I ask this in Your name and Your power that we would be committed to this. Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, go ahead and stand. Go ahead and stand.